Just ahead on Black Issues Forum, reimagining the state's education system or wanting to return to the past, women's ongoing struggle for equal pay, and what's behind questioning of Judge Jackson's credentials. Stay with us. Welcome to Black Issues Forum. I'm Deborah Holt Noel. In a recent Charlotte Observer opinion piece, James Ford, an at large member of the State Board of Education and executive director of the Center for Racial Equity in Education, was critical of the recently established House Select Committee on an Education System for North Carolina's Future. This committee met for the first time in January, and the question that they're focused on is if today there was no education system in North Carolina, and we were charged with establishing one, what would you like to see in a new education system or not see? And this is a question that the committee has invited public response on, and you can follow and engage in their work by looking them up on the North Carolina General Assembly website. A concern that Ford outlined in his editorial is the makeup of the committee. He notes that 54% of the children attending public schools are students of color, but the nine-member select committee is all white with one black member. He also called out this committee for attempting to take education back to the past and for using coded language. And here are a, a couple of comments from, from the meeting. For example, parents have abdicated their responsibilities to schools and they need to be students' best advocates. Uh, another, many things that worked then would work now. Uh, when I had young kids, they had more discipline, respect, and care, and most had two parents at home. Another comment, I think we need to get back to understanding that the primary purpose of education is to equip these kids to be good adults. So another individual who has comments about the meeting circulating on social media is North Carolina Association of Educators President Tamika Walker-Kelly and we are excited to welcome her to today's panel. President Kelly, it's great to see you again. I also want to welcome back Tibby Jones, founder and CEO of Hey Awesome Girl and introduce Shemeca Ebony, co-founder of I Am Brilliant, community engagement strategy expert and author of the book, While I'm Getting Naked. So let me ask you first, Tamika, uh, did you read coded language in any of these comments? Well, first, thank you again for having me on the Black Issues Forum. It's a pleasure. Um, and regarding the comments that were made, the first concern, as outlined by James Ford, is from who these comments are coming from. Our public schools are full of diverse and wonderful student populations, and they reflect our growing diversity as a state. However, the demographics of this House Select Committee do not reflect the demographics in our public schools. So when we hear the coded language around student discipline, around the family structure, not only is that language very coded, but it's also antiquated. We should be moving our public schools forward in progress towards the future and not moving back to the past. Thank you so much. And certainly, um, by way of the name of the committee, there are good intentions. Uh, but who doesn't want to see improvement in our public schools? Mm -hmm. But um, if you were to reimagine schools, let, let me bring you in, uh, uh, Shemeca, if you were to reimagine schools, um, what would you include? 
You know, I would include prioritizing, especially for at least the high school level students, that we include something that gets them passport ready, whether it's an, an extra opportunity to get them uh, missions-based uh, experience to uh, open up their horizon when it comes to travel and preparing them for a global industrial market so that they can see their own space, their ownership, and other people like them, and creating experiences for international travel at early ages is one way of creating solutions that have not been tried. Um, I've seen it done in New York um, with an African-American-led uh, initiative by a female a former teacher there, but she sees this as an opportunity to expose to internationally op international opportunities of growth, um, entrepreneurship, and young people. So creating those global learners before college, I know that a lot of colleges are focused on that. Tivy, uh, you're a businesswoman. How would you reimagine the schools? I totally agree with um, Shemeca here on the entrepreneurial perspective and expanding their horizon. But one of the things I also want us to consider when we think about the educational ecosystem is how do we infuse more equity into that ecosystem? When children show up at school, they're not starting fresh at school and ending at the end of the day. They have lives outside of the school day that impact how they learn, what they hear, um, how receptive they are to new things, how much they can study. So I encourage, obviously I'm not an educator, but I think we need to take a whole child perspective um, into the conversation when we're thinking about reimagining education. Thank you. And Tamika, certainly, uh, what are your thoughts on this reimagining schools? What do you see, what, what um, parts do you think need to be included in this consideration? So one thing to note is that our educators, our students, parents, and community members have been consistent in communicating to this General Assembly ways that they can improve our public schools through restoring cuts, which have underfunded our public schools for more than a decade, and to address the need of fully funding a constitutional high-quality public education for every student in North Carolina. So it is a little hard to watch a committee convene to talk about reinventing and reimagining public schools in North Carolina when they haven't fulfilled their original obligations to the students of North Carolina. A fully funded, fully resourced public school wouldn't just be imaginative, it would be transformative for all of our students. And there was no mention hardly of the Leandro decision. So if Leandro were implemented, wouldn't this go, go a long way toward actually um, implementing and doing some of the changes that are necessary and um, maybe getting a head start on this reimagination, President Kelly? Absolutely. The fulling funding of Leandro would absolutely transform and progress our schools in ways that have never happened in the history of this state. And it would put a balance to many of the disparities, opportunity gaps that many of our students face, not only from a class lens, but from a racial lens as well. And so we have a constitutional mandate in our governing documents, which this General Assembly has failed to live up to. And so we as stakeholders must continue to press on that so that we can see our students progress to a more rich future. And Shemeca, you know, you still have a dog in the fight because you have children, as I understand, but they're homeschooled. Um, and there is an opportunity coming up for more parents to get uh, more involved. Superintendent Catherine Truitt 
uh, is assembling a 48-member parent advisory commission to, quote, elevate the voice of parents in students' education. And it will be comprised of parents with kids in public school, private school, and home schools and charters. What are your thoughts about this commission? Um, I think this commission is very interesting in the theory of wanting to engage the community, which would be parents and stakeholders, and then the actual practices of the intentionality behind the community engagement necessary. The level of this initiative is mass, and it, it takes, honestly, us in the community uh, to amplify our voices as parents. I have some uh, of our older children are in public school right now in very diverse learning across Wake County, and I, we also, um, because of being denied for even pre-K education, education learning for my youngest child, we um, transitioned to homeschooling um, because we understand the priority as parents, our role in our education and advocating and, and getting involved um, in our community to know when these things are happening and when there's public input, which you'll see in this situation, there's an opportunity for people to sign up for public comment. And those are the spaces we have to flood our voice where there's absence, where there's no seat at the table. We got to make our own and write policy to put some teeth behind what we want to see change in the General Assembly. Well, folks have until March 30th to uh, sign up for that new commission, so be on the lookout for it. And we know that another element that's very important in this ecosystem is well-prepared teachers and well-paid teachers. And we've talked mm -hmm. before about the need to increase pay for teachers. And what we do know um, is that most teachers in public education are women. And regardless of what industry we're talking about, there's a need to increase pay for women, and there's an ongoing fight for equal pay for women. Shemeka, um, you have numerous projects under your hat uh, as an activist, an advocate for, for women and children. Talk about how equal pay um, has surfaced in the realm of the work that you've been doing. So um, we targeted equal pay a couple of years back in partnership with Action NC and the NC um, Women's Alliance, uh, which is a collective of women-led organizations across the state. And we wanted to advocate not only for pay equity, but looking at policy. So we were doing lobby days. We created a legislative agenda. We took it back to our organizations, and we pumped it in our communities to really amplify Educating people, for one, in what the legislative process is, and then also implementing who's going to take on our agenda, who's standing up with us and owning our power in these spaces that we're electing officials in, and those that we're not getting in line, then we're giving them a report card and reporting back out on what they're not doing and how they're not supporting way before it gets into the electoral season of promises. We're holding you accountable, and we're looking for receipts, and we were able to do that um, through collaboration and working together intentionally such valuable work. And Tivi, when you hear the statistic about unequal pay, that in the U.S. black women are paid um, 63 cents for every dollar that white men are paid, resulting, it could result in nearly a $1 million difference over the course of a 40-year career. That's a couple of houses. <laughs> it's a trip, a couple of trips. Um, yeah. How does knowing that fact cause you to kind of reflect on your past jobs and pay? Yeah, knowing that fact um, or hearing that fact is something that it's, it's something that I've always known in my career. That's part of the reason why I became an entrepreneur, to be able to set my own rate, to be able to determine my own career trajectory. And that's part of the reason why we have our mission at Hey Awesome Girl is to empower women to own their expertise so they can negotiate better, so they can charge more for their services. But I also think we have to look at the history of why women are so underpaid in, in our society. And a lot of it is systemic. 
Um, it's in our generation, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation that women were first able to own their own property and open their own bank accounts by themselves. And so there's a legacy of assuming that women deserve less because they aren't, you know, head of household or they aren't, you know, leading families. But our society has changed so much over the past 50 to 60 years and our compensation structures have to catch up with that. I think a lot of it has to do with um, the narrative and who's telling the narrative for, because for so long, who's been lifting things up? And that's not to say that mm -hmm. men aren't doing uh, very valuable and important work in the house and outside of the house, but um, for, for centuries, women have done heavy lifting. To me, uh, mm -hmm. President Kelly, how does unequal pay, do you think, get justified and why is it allowed to fester? Well, one of the things that was raised earlier is that the unequal pay between men and women, even black women and their white counterparts, is a systemic issue. Um, one of the ways is how we view work. A lot of the work that women uh, take on as roles is care work, and there's not a lot of value placed on the emotional work or the uh, care work that is done by women. And so we know that once we honor and value that work, we are able to make strides uh, to close the pay equity gap, not only for black women, uh, but for women in general. And when women are lifted up, those households get lifted up and it, and it in turn affects that education ecosystem as well. Now, with mm -hmm. passage of the Equal Pay Act in 1963, it became illegal to pay women lower, lower rates for the same job. But the disparity remains. Um, Shemeca, do you think that equal pay can be addressed through legislation? Um, it has to be one component of the wheel. I've amplified as a solution within the work with Black Girl Magic Market as entrepreneurship, you know, owning your space. And the gap I see is not only race and gender, but it's also lived experience expertise because we put so much weight on the expertise of academia and we've devalued people's lived experience and what they've survived mm -hmm. and what has been working in their community as individuals. So my pay equity mm -hmm. has also been targeting uh, equity among people with lived experience identified and valued as experts when they're working with these organizations to create solutions and helping institutions create solutions. Co-designing with people with lived experience expertise is a way we've been combating um, pay equity gaps. What are your thoughts on why it's allowed to fester um, TV and what and can legislation help? I think we need legislation. I think like Shemeca was, I think Shemeca said earlier about giving it teeth. Like we, we need more than just marches in the street. We need more than just conversations where it's only women at the table. We live in a capitalist and, and patriarchal society and we, we have to have legislation to, to give this issue some real teeth. I agree. And what are your thoughts um, on this, President Kelly, when it comes to legislating this, this issue? You know, do, do you think that rules and policies can help it is really important to put practices into policy so that they are sustainable and measurable over time. And so as we continue to make progress to increase um, uh, page gaps, uh, pay for women and close the pay gaps for women and black women in general, it's important to make sure that that is enshrined in policy so that we can keep our legislators accountable to progress that is necessary in order to make sure that all of our women, no matter who they are, um, are able to grow and prosper in their respective communities. 
Well, interestingly enough, when it comes to equality, the problem may not start at the negotiating table. It starts before you even land the job with questions about a woman's credentials. Judge Jackson's resume is packed with prestigious accomplishments. Her classmates at her Miami area high school voted her most likely to succeed. And as a prescient teenager, she said she wanted to go into law and eventually have a judicial appointment. She did just that, graduating from Harvard, both undergrad and law school, becoming a judge on the federal court in Washington, D.C., beginning in 2013. Case in point, a conservative commentator on Fox News, known for dishonesty and inflammatory racist remarks, got blasted for asking to see the LSAT scores of Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown Jackson. Tivy, um, what does this commentator's question tell you about him and about the problem at large? Now I'll, I'll mention his name, Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson. I mean, it's a very small react, like approach to um, belittle or question someone's right. credentials. Um, she's a supreme, like Supreme Court Judge Jackson. Like, I think what's behind it is the legacy of racism. I think what's behind it is the legacy of a patriarchal society that believes that women aren't as valued and can't possibly come uh, as qualified as someone who doesn't look like them. And honestly, I just think it's a very, a small man's way of trying to tear down someone who's clearly at the top of her field. And it happens in small ways. I mean, that's a somewhat of an obvious uh, and very public um, way of questioning. And we've seen it happen before. It's happening here with uh, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. It certainly happened with you know Barack Obama. Let's see. Let's mm -hmm. see your birth certificate. I mean, let's see your, you know, how, why did you get here? How did you become the so-and-so? And often the question is, is innocent. Oh, well, tell me about your background, you know, but we kind of know what's behind it. How do you respond, Shemeka, to questions like this, you know, um, questioning the credentials of, of folks? And especially um, when it's, it's couched in legitimacy. We know that black people ask about the credentials and background of other black people. Oh, well, you know, but who have they worked with and that kind of thing. So it's legitimate. But what do you think mm -hmm. is, or it's said to be legitimate, what do you think is at the root of all of this? Um, I agree um, with uh, much of what has already been said about the root of the racism. I first thought about Tucker is who hurt you? You know, like, really, you yes. know, I see this person, like, that kid on the playground that made, didn't have pe friends around. And then if this is just a character for him, whoever wrote this script has obviously been hurt and probably needs a hug. Uh, so I don't, you know, my prayer and my thoughts and reflection is to cover this woman as she's going through this process for. He is a microcosm of a larger representation of ignorance in our country. But we have this opportunity to stand behind her and get behind her and cover her because we see it. We know it. It, we identify it. For me, I exceed expectations when I get challenged with those questions. I am going to silence the room because I'm going to acknowledge who I am and I'm not hiding my light and you can credential search all you want. I've wrapped I wrap circles around those that are seeking credentials because, again, I found my value on lived experience, and I bring my, that expertise everywhere I go, and I don't have mm -hmm. to code switch mm -hmm. anymore, and I don't have to accept someone questioning my value because I know my value and my worth. Oh, that is key, the, the mm -hmm. need to code switch has really kind of flipped in recent years. No more are, is the code switching all that necessary. In fact, employers are looking for 
your lived experience, but then to take the next step and, and attach value yourself, like you were saying, Tivy, to your own lived experience and take that to the negotiation table um, and make sure that you're getting what you deserve is, is so important. Um, President Kelly, how do you see this manifesting in the education world um, with teachers and teacher pay and, pre and uh, principals and principal pay? Well, one of the things that we know uh, as, an, as educators is that our student standardized test scores are only one reflection of a mm -hmm. spectrum of things mm -hmm. that they can do well. Mm -hmm. um, and so to even question the LSAT score of a Supreme Court justice nominee is rooted in white supremacy, is rooted in racism, is rooted in patri patriarchy, mm -hmm. right? And this shows up in our school systems all the time when we see um, the credentials of people who are overqualified for many positions, mm -hmm. students who are overqualified mm -hmm. to take classes, students who are overqualified to uh, play in certain arenas and for certain awards get overlooked because people want to question uh, their credentials. And so one of the things that we uh, work and have worked throughout this entire uh, past few years is we have made strides in honoring our students as they show up, as their home authentic selves in the classroom. And as educators, we've been doing the professional development work um, necessary in order to assist students in showing up exactly who they are and, and helping them lean into their successes. Well, it sounds like the credentialing question, it extends beyond uh, black women. Uh, certainly there for black women, but it, it extends beyond and extends to black children in classrooms, to black men, and, and otherwise, and, and even strictly to women um, in, uh, in the business setting. And we saw, we, we talked earlier in this season about the questioning of Vice President Kamala Harris's uh, credentials and also her mm -hmm. work. And people say, you know, well, where is Kamala and what is she doing? Is that something that you all questioned as well or how did you respond on that? Let me start with you, Tivy. Me personally, I did not question it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think the, uh, I, I think Shemeca was saying earlier um, something around what I perceived as like giving people grace. Like you, you don't have to approach someone with the uh, like automatically assuming that there's something going on behind the scenes. Yeah. I think that to Shemeca's point, I cover Vice President Harris. I support her and her work. I know there's a lot going on behind the scenes that I don't necessarily see. And just because there's implicit and or explicit bias when it comes to women and people of color, doesn't mean that I have to take that on. I can assume the best. Um, and I think that's like that's something a lot of us need to do in America these days is assume the best and not just automatically mm -hmm. question someone and what they're doing based on how they look. Absolutely. Let me ask you all this uh, final question, which might be the final question, but, but the hashtag when women win has been circling on social media during Women's History Month, March, which is when this was recorded. Uh, so what happens for everybody when women win? Shemeca? 
Ooh, I mean, when women are winning, we are have this maximized potential to reach a what's possible that has not been uh, experienced before. If we're winning in economics, if we're winning in public health, if we're winning in equity, if we're winning in ending and destroying racism, then we're creating a new possible. While we're pursuing winning, I believe we also got to rewrite our vision of what winning feels like for us and what it looks like so mm. we can begin showing up now to get the momentum going. So when winning women win we all win so mm -hmm. it is up to the community and it is up to the individual up to the self let me get your feedback on this uh, President Walker what happens when everybody for, for everybody when women win so one of the beautiful things about being a woman is that we are connectors in our community. We are caretakers, we are nurturers. And so when we uplift our women, when we are supporting our women, when we allow our women to shine in all of the multiple ways uh, that they are good at and that they succeed at, it literally lifts our entire communities because we as women are a collective. We lean on each other, we work with each other, we hold space for one another. And so we bring our entire communities when we come to the table, whether it is an executive board table, whether it is in schools, whether it is leading community initiatives. And so when women win, our communities are winning as well. And so we should definitely make sure that we are investing in the success of all women. Agreed. Tivi, what happens when for everybody when women win? I mean, I can't say it better than my colleagues here. It is studies show that when women succeed, when women make more money, when women have more resources, they invest it back in their community. So we can we see that anecdotally and also the statistics reflect that fact. So I agree with everything that has just been said. Well, that is our nature. Tivy Jones, President Tamika Walker-Kelly, and Shemeca Ebony, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Thank you. Thank you for thank having you. us. I want to thank today's guests for joining us today, and we invite you to engage with us on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Black Issues Forum. You can also find our full episodes on pbsnc.org slash Black Issues Forum or listen at any time on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. For Black Issues Forum, I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. Thanks for watching. through the financial contributions of viewers like you who invite you to join them in supporting PBSNC.